Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Whiz. Today, we are talking with Akwia Chermatanetti, who is one of my past Retail Ready students and the founder of Berry Bissop, a ready-to-drink line of West African tea. In today's episode, I'm going to do some live brainstorming with Akwia as we talk through expanding her sales to the West Coast, debating shelf-stable versus perishable beverage options, and maintaining valuable fridge space. We do live coaching like this in Retail Ready, both on our twice per month live group coaching calls, as well as daily in our private student group. I I really love these episodes because it gives me a wonderful chance to catch up with my Retail Ready students. It gives you listeners a sneak peek into what Retail Ready support looks like, and it allows you guys to learn from Aquia's journey herself. So I know you are going to get a lot out of it, so stay tuned. You're listening to Food Biz Whiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is brought to you by Retail Ready, my online course for producers of packaged product who are looking to grow their wholesale accounts. Retail Ready is opening for enrollment very soon. Through videos, workbooks, checklists, templates, live coaching calls with me, and daily access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick and mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. The first step to find out more about Retail Ready is to join my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business, which I'll link to here in today's show notes. That hour-long webinar is jam-packed with advice that you can use to kickstart your growth right now, plus information on Retail Ready, on my past clients, and how we can work together. Sign up via the link in my show notes, and I will see you there. Hi there, Aquia. Welcome to Food Biz Whiz. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. And I'm really excited that we are doing this after your one-year anniversary of being part of our Retail Ready community. So I didn't tell you this, but I went back and I looked up, you know, because I was curious when you joined us in Retail Ready, and it was October of 2019. So first off, thank you for taking the leap and joining us in Retail Ready one year ago. And let's Let's get into our episode. We got a lot to talk Yay. about. Yay. One year. That's awesome. Yeah. One year. You know, I I want to, I'm going to have us pause for a moment. Actually, why don't we pause and say like, Aquia, do you remember where you were with Barry Bissop one year ago? Absolutely. Oh, like it's so vivid. I remember a year. I just heard about you. Um and I was into eight stores mm-hmm. in the Hudson Valley, ready to make the leap, make a change, how to get into more stores and feeling really stuck. I was feeling stuck because I knew that we needed help with our branding. I knew that we needed presence on social media and online. And I knew that I needed to learn skills, how to pitch to buyers and how to scale and grow. 
And, um, and as I was feeling stuck, I realized, okay, let me, let me take the leap. We had no money, but I decided I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to get the money somewhere. We're going to do it. And we never looked back. And it was literally the best decision I've ever made joining Retail Ready because we would not be where we are today without Retail Ready. Oh, I promise we did not plan this on our podcast, but you are just breaking my heart wide open here. I'm, I, it's just been such a pleasure having you in our student group. You're, you're so engaged in our community and so insightful. And I just, I love having you in there and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So thank thank you. you. And I'm, I'm honored and so proud of where you've come, you know, in the past year. So a year ago, you said you had eight stores. Where are you now? Well, actually, our listeners are like, okay, Allie, okay, Aquia, like I'm happy for you, but like, what the heck is Barry Bissop? Like, let's, let's, let's reverse it 30 seconds. So give me the one-liner on, on what the heck you make and tell me where you guys are now one year later. Yeah. So we are Barry Bissop. We make West African spiced hibiscus tea and we make our hibiscus teas from West African hibiscus that we source from Northern Ghana, including our indigenous West African spices. And we infuse them with organic fruit. So we are currently in, I would say between 20 to 25 stores now in the state of New York, um, such as Union Market in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. We're also in West Side, some West Side Market locations in Manhattan, Adams Ferry Acre Farms and, and other stores in the Hudson Valley. We're also on online at barrybusup.com that you can order. And we are slowly expanding and growing. And um, we'll be in more stores, even outside of New York soon as well. Yeah. Um, so Yay. And you're yeah. ready to you're ready to drink and you are refrigerated as well, right? Yes, we yeah. are ref- we are on the refrigerated shelves, ready to drink. Um, and they are chilled and wonderful to drink right on its own you can also enjoy it with your favorite seltzer your favorite cocktail it's just very versatile but flavorful and delicious unlike any other hibiscus tea yeah cocktail i hadn't even thought about that okay that's gonna be my next that's gonna be my next move (laughs) okay so you guys have grown a lot in this year you're still doing your farmer's market right Yes, we are. Yes, yeah. we so. participate. We did participate in, I would say, f- six farmers markets um, during the summer and early fall, wow. and um, yeah, so it's been great. Um, so many feedback. Um, so we've gained so many customers, and yeah, and really got our we're in our, our product out there. So it's been wonderful. Yeah, and the last thing, I mean, that's a lot though. Six farmers markets during. 2020, right? We've had a year of ups and downs <laughs> in all sorts Absolutely. of senses. Um, and so that's a, that's a lot of work. I imagine, you know, it's not only a lot of physical work, but emotional work to navigate that with, with COVID and all of that. So um, props to you for, for all of that through 2020. <laughs> and then the last thing oh, I'll say too, you. is after you joined Retail Ready, you did a brand, a complete brand overhaul and you worked with yes. Macaroni Creative, who I yes. know and love. And oh, yes. They love just, them too. They just did such a beautiful, beautiful job on your brand, brand refresh. So um, I'm sure that that was part of your success as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do have to say that what really changed everything was um, knowing our target consumer, our brand identity. Yeah. And, um, our brand voice. That is what really changed everything for us, really honing in on that and, you know, design, doing the rebrand 
that specifically uh, helped to target our consumers and our brand identity um, was a game changer. Yeah, because so, when you came into retail ready, you know, you did the you did the classic thing that all that everybody does, where you're like, I want everyone to enjoy <laughs> Barry Bisop. <laughs> everyone should enjoy West African hibiscus spice teas. And sure enough, we realized that um, narrowing it down helps expand the sales, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Enough of our intro here. Should we talk through a couple of questions that you had? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do All right. It. So let's let's start at the top. And your question was around expansion, right? So as you said, you are in New York and you're getting, you're basically getting a, a bunch of interest all over the country, right? Um, tell me about your expansion questions. Yeah. So the, fir- the first question um, I wanted to ask was about, you know, we're getting inquiries for potential wholesale accounts. Um, especially in California, um, in the Southern California and in the Bay Area as well. Um, we wanted to start at, in Southern California, like in the Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. um, with a really popular um, market there yep. um, some early next year. Um, however, you know, because we are based here in New York um, and we are still a young company, do you, we wanted to know about um, advice or recommendations or just, yeah, just what your thoughts are on hiring merchandising companies Mm -hmm. and demo companies. Um, I'm assuming, you know, sometime next year when everything gets back to normal post COVID (laughs) and (laughs) want to put that in there. (laughs) I feel like there Um, always needs to be a little asterisk, right? Yes. Yeah. When things like when it is safe to do so, (laughs) when can I do demos? Yes. Um, Okay. And I, I'm going to say, let me, let me start with a a couple of things. So, and I know that this is coming, there's the, this is probably rooted in your question. Your question's rooted around this idea that it is relatively easy to get on the shelf, but then you've got to sell your product once you do, right? Yes. Absolutely. And that's that's where the hard part comes in. We talk, you know, you know this. We talk about it a lot in retail ready, that yeah. you've got to have this plan for supporting sales once you get on the shelf, especially from afar. So what I hear you saying is recognizing that this is challenging and you're like, how the heck am I going to sell from New York and all of these Southern California and then, you know, hopefully Northern California accounts. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So my short answer is yes, you should hire those demos (laughs) and merchandising companies Absolutely. But there's, I'm going to put a little asterisk there, right? (laughs) Realizing that that's, that can just be one part of the plan. Um, That having that, having a connection with each store and making sure that those stores understand who you are, you know, why you're special, how to merchandise you, you know, how to talk about your product, making sure that all the store staff have sampled your product. All of those things are free and you don't have to pay for them, you know, um, like you would that demo company or that merchandising company. So Aquia, I think, you know, as we think about like every single thing, having a cost to it as, as we navigate the CPG industry, I think it's important to, to start with the free stuff when you can, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, how does how does that feel? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing that sometimes I wonder is how we look on the shelf from afar. You know, mm-hmm. I'm of course here. Even all in Brooklyn, a store in Brooklyn, I don't mind taking the train. I can take the train to Brooklyn, peek on the shelf, yep. see how we look. You know, and I know, you know, staff in markets and in supermarkets, they're busy as well. You know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of them they don't always have the time to a- arrange every bottle, yep. every product on the shelf. And yep. so, you know, um, will that should that be the priority? Um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a that's a good follow up question. So, with categories that have high velocity, like beverage, you know, you're sold out of the cold case. <laughs> Merchandisers, so literally, like if our listeners are are like, what is a merchandiser? It's literally a company that you hire who goes in. They will stock the shelves for you if you're out of stock. They'll literally like push your product forward. They will. Um, front it, face it, make sure the labels are in the right place, you know, especially after like a lunch rush or, or some like high traffic times in the store. And that can be really, really important for high volume categories like beverage. So if, like we, I always like the disclaimer, like if we've got like a honey brand listening, they don't need a merchandiser, right? <laughs> like, no, no one needs, no one needs a merchandiser in a, in a slower velocity category. I th- I think that a demo company is more important than a merchandising company. Okay. Um, but there there's going to be pl- people out there who argue the opposite. So it depends. Um, okay. And I think here's a question: Like, do you find that the product sells in your farmers market after people sample it? Yes. Yes. That's one of the things I do miss about demos and selling at farmer's markets. But during this year, we couldn't even sample at farmer's Mm. markets. So Mm. I, I was, I had to really rely on the pitch, like really vividly talking about, you know, our, you know, the taste of our teas, the spices and the flavor and, and really trying to give that vivid, you know, um, you know, explanation for the consumer to yeah. kind of even think about it and let it have that sense of feeling in their taste buds about mm-hmm. how we taste it. Um, and they, they, they were sold on it. I mean, they, yeah. they were interested, they were excited and yep. we've, we got so many repeat customers from it. So I was really surprised That's very cool. how much we've, yeah, I'm super thankful um, and surprised how much we sold in farmer's markets without sampling. Um, but I really do miss it. I miss sampling. I miss really under, you know, getting the real, the feedback from them, mm-hmm. even from those who may, who are so, so just to hear like, okay, what's missing, what's not missing. You know, uh, I love that connection. Yeah. yeah. And I, the demos are key, you know, even before like pre-COVID, I, I was literally d- demoing every weekend. <laughs> I know you were, I know you were. <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> and and I, I, would, I would even even though we're expanding, I would jump right back into it. Yeah, because um, the valuable feedback we get. So, um, yeah, I I definitely would would love to look into demo com- um, companies. And I know you were saying that you know some would have a different opinion, but yeah, and and I think it's Im- 
important to realize that some demo companies will also do the merchandising for you, right? So you could, you can set expectations about what you're looking for in a demo company. And it could be someone who goes in the store twice a week and they do the merchandising and they do demoing, right? I mean, in a high, high velocity category like beverages, you know, it's ideal if somebody's there every single day, but you know, you get what you pay for. So that's going to come with a price tag too. And then Aquia, I would also say, you know, I like it when people think outside of the box with demo strategy or, you know, especially from afar, like what if you had brand ambassadors instead of hiring, you know, a mainstream demo company? Like what if you had three, I was going to say women, I don't know why I jumped to the conclusion that they're women, but three <laughs> ambassadors around LA who are doing your merchandising and they're doing your demos for you and you're hiring them as contract workers rather than, you know, through, through an official company, you know, we can always get creative and think about things like that. That is super creative. And that has never crossed my mind. Like now I'm just, you gave me like a, you know, like stars, you know, (laughs) shining over my forehead. That is a wonderful idea. I'm going to bring you down to earth and tell you that the challenge there (laughs) is that, you know, then you need to have a robust training process for them and you need to have (laughs) systems that they follow. But, you know, you are very used to doing demos. You have done them yourself for a long time. So I bet that you could get that, that's that system documented pretty easily, but um, you know, then you got to manage these people. So there's always, there's always a trade-off when you go, when you go direct and when you start building out the team, but you know, we could certainly continue the conversation around that and figure out, you know, what that would look like and, and um, if that's a better option for you. Totally. That's I'm, I'm afraid I'm jotting some notes down right now and going to kind of weigh my options. You know what? Um, We had a really great coaching call where Emily Griffith of Lil Bucks asked about building out brand ambassadors and demos. And I know it's in our, it's in our student platform. I'm going to pull it up for you. Um, I, I feel bad saying this for our listeners who who can't get access to this call, but I know that this call will help you too, because we talk out some of the things that she, she needs to think through as we, as we do a brand ambassador program. You know what? I know exactly who it was with. It was with Chelsea Worth of Worth Marketing, who, yeah, it was last January. 2019. Okay. And it was our industry expert call. So I'll, oh, I'm, I'm going to send it to you after our recording here. Totally, it was a good one. Totally. Okay. okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Okay. So yes. now we're just teasing our listeners. So <laughs> I'm going to have us pause for a, a quick second. I'm going to drop in a word from our sponsor and we're going to be right back. Hang tight. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls, and I'd love to see you in there as well. Retail Ready enrollment opens again really soon and kicks off with my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business. I have that linked here in the show notes, and I can't 
wait for you to join. To learn more about me and how I work with clients, to find out whether Retail Ready is the right fit for you, and to learn my three steps to growing your packaged food biz. Come join me via the link in the show notes, and I'll see you there. Okay, Aquia, we're back. I'm done with the I'm done with the teasing. I promise I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> so let's let's continue the conversation. Um, your that next question good. was about like shelf stable, perishable. What are you What are you thinking around that? Yes, um, this is kind of a tough one for me. Um, we so right now we are perishable tea with a very decent shelf life, um, and our primary spot that we want to be in all wholesale accounts is in the refrigerated shelf. Mm -hmm. Um, However, shipping a perishable beverage can be challenging (laughs) with the ice packs and, you know, making sure that they are not delayed and making sure that they are still in prime quality um, can be a challenge so far. So good right now, Mm -hmm. but I'm just thinking farther along in the future as we expand how yeah. you know how difficult that can be um we do we are able to to make it shelf stable but i don't want to lose space on the refrigerated shelves yeah um because i don't want um any of the you know any buyer or their their staff to think oh it's shelf stable let's just put it on you know the regular shelves mm-hmm. you know our our beverage um, even though you can heat it up and drink it warm, our beverages taste perfect and amazing chilled. Yeah. Um, and that it's prime is just the best quality um, or heating it up. You know, it's one or the other lukewarm. It, you don't get, you don't yeah. get the, that flavor, you know, it doesn't, yeah. you don't taste the traditional BSAP, you know, flavor when it's lukewarm. So um, it, it's, it's a tough decision and I would love free to kind of advise me and guide me and help mm-hmm. me kind of weigh the pros and cons. Yeah. And kind of, cause I know you, you may not have the direct answer, but, <laughs> or if you do, Hey, I like that you know, disclaimer. Thank you. <laughs> the pressure's off. So yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate that you realize that there are pros and cons, right? Yes. And I think that you, you landed on a big one about the, the con of staying, perishable is the shipping, right? The shipping, the warehousing, the distribution, like every single piece along the supply chain becomes more complicated when you are a perishable product, right? Absolutely. I also want to point out from the store's perspective, (laughs) from the retailer's perspective, it's also more complicated when you are a perishable product because it means that the backstock has to stay cold. And so you are taking up valuable space in a refrigerated storage, uh, like a a walk-in fridge that is typically reserved for yogurts and milk and eggs and things like that. Um, Kombucha too. I mean, like we are having categories expand in refrigerated, you know, perishable drinks, but historically like refrigerated backstock is for dairy and it's not for drinks. And so I, I can tell you the, the beverages, the shelf stable beverages that, or beverages, beverages that are shelf stable 
have an advantage because they can be stored anywhere in back stock in the, in, you know, off the sales floor, which is really, really helpful when I don't have to like be a buyer who's concerned or be an inventory manager who's concerned about physical space in my walk-in. Okay. Okay. So, so that being said, um, I, I think it, it is important to, to think about losing that shelf space in the refrigerator, but I'm not as concerned that that would happen as you are, because here's why (laughs) you are sold individually, right? Right now you don't have a four pack or a six pack or a 12 pack or anything, right? Like you are selling, you're selling individually, right? An an individual drink sold like in the center aisle of a grocery store is, is not great, right? Like that's reserved for like the Coca-Colas and the like, you know, Indian tonics of the world um, and, you know, little like cans and stuff, but like, you know, a, a $4, $5 beverage off sold individually in the center aisle is, is not a great bet for that buyer. They want that sold out of the refrigerator. So I think the, there's a, there's, how should I say it? Um, I'm not as concerned about you losing the the refrigerated shelf space. There are lots of products, particularly beverages, that come in shelf stable that are sold in the refrigerator. I see. Okay. Like even okay. like, um, let me think of an example. Even something like um, Vita Coco, or you know, obviously like Coca Cola, um, yeah. Spindrift sodas, or like Spindrift seltzers. Um, you know, all of those are shelf stable. And so Mm -hmm. they, you know, in my mind, I'm like literally picturing the, like a very specific hallway in Byright where we would keep all the (laughs) shelves, shelf stable beverages. And then, and then it's just up to the store to like rotate them into cold backstock so that, um, you know, they're, they're chilled by the time the, the consumer purchases them. So I would say, don't worry. You know, there are plenty of other brands who are shelf stable and still sold out of the refrigerated shelves. The, the time that I would start, you know, really start like being nervous about that is if you do start doing four pack, six pack, and, um, you know, are really presenting more of a, a case purchase. And in, and in that instance, you know, we can, we can talk about like, how do you make that four pack look good enough. So you could sell it both on the dry shelf, on the, you know, non-refrigerated shelf and out of the, still get the singles out of the refrigerated case. Okay. And do, and is that something that, you know, once we do make the decision to shift or if Mm -hmm. we ever do to communicate that to the retailer? Yeah, absolutely. And that's again, where I would use data, right? You, okay. you know, like those buyers love, love data. And so if you can say, you know, um, we are sold, you know, it's up to you to present whatever story you want to that wholesale buyer. So you can literally say like, we are sold out of the refrigerated case, period. <laughs> On average, we sell, you know, 24, you know, units per SKU per week, 
you know, out of stores in their like, you know, open grab and go fridges or like whatever it is. You you craft the story. And if this and if the opening line is we are sold out of the refrigerated case, <laughs> that's just what they, you know, that's that's what they hear. And that's like the first the first place that they go to. And then, okay. yeah, using using that sales data. And what's great is mm-hmm. all your data is from the refrigerated case. So it is. It's it's clear. So yeah, it would give us. A, it would be a strong case for us. Uh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. I would be. I mean, obviously, there are always exceptions, but I would be really confused if a buyer sold you off of the shelf, like the dry shelf, rather than the refrigerated case. It would be confusing yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree as well. (laughs) No one wants that. Especially (laughs) do also say like one other thing that is nice about your your packaging is that you've got the like slim um, slim bottle, which looks so much better in the refrigerator than it does on on a metro shelf. Like on a metro shelf, it's wobbly and like tipping over and stuff. Like (laughs) buyers don't want that either. Very true. Yeah. yeah and then as so- you last thing I'll say there is as you start pitching to bigger accounts and chains and things like that, you know, like Whole Foods or whatever, you would ideally get slotted into their planogram, which tells the store where to merchandise it. And then, you know, that's that's made on um, you know, a regional level. And then the the instructions are given to the store. And so then it's great, right? Like you get, (laughs) you get put into the refrigerated planogram and like, you're all good. So that would be the strategy there as well. Making sure that as you, as you go to these bigger accounts, you're setting expectations, you know, from the top down where, where you really want to be merchandised. Um, And I, you know, so I guess in conclusion here, I will say I, I fully, fully support the shift to shelf stable. Yeah, yeah, it's been at the back of my head as well. And I know this, and it's related, but if I could ask another quick question yeah, sure. relating to question number two. Yeah. Um, we are working on some like really beautiful custom packaging for, mm-hmm. our, for our website, for our D to C um, mm-hmm. website. And we want, do you advise that on our box or like a card that, like a thank you or intro card that we put in there to let our consumers know, pop it in the refrigerator when we shift to shelf stable. Yep. Totally. Totally. I actually just, um, I just received a package today from toast, another retail ready brand T O S T and they make non-alcoholic, um, drinks that are really beautiful. I don't know if you've seen them. They're in glass bottles and they really look like, champagne or cider you know there's like this beautiful golden color and they're sparkling and um literally when you you open the box there's a a little card there's like postcard size that says i don't know something like kind of cheeky about like best served chilled or like chill and then you you can also chill or like i don't know something that really caught my eye and i was like huh like that's clever and sure enough it went right in my refrigerator Nice. Okay. Yeah. There definitely will be working on that. Yeah. Tell the consumer what to do, right? Like, unless, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless we tell them, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Exactly. They don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. You want to talk through this last question? It's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
So the last question I have is we are experimenting with new flavors and another product. I can't get really into it. Um, That's fair. It's going to be exciting. All right. <laughs> we'd like to launch. <laughs> um, but because I'm new, um, when do you think is the best time to uh, launch a new flavor or launch a couple of products, products. relating to berry? Yeah, new products yeah. related to berry bisop. That would really help expand um, our brand. Yeah. Okay. Good, good questions. Okay. So without revealing too much of the details, I'm going to respect that. Um, (laughs) There's a couple things to think about here. And I think there's, I think about it from the perspective of the time of year and the category. And then I also think about it from the perspective of the businesses growth and where they are in terms of you know, experience in, in our industry. So let's, let's talk about the easy one, which is time of year and category. If you are launching, let's just say another flavor of a refrigerated beverage, I think it's important to remember that, you know, being a refrigerated beverage, especially on the East coast where you guys have serious winters, your highest Mm -hmm. sales really are going to be in Q2 and Q3. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like summertime, right? Like that's when beverages sell. And we can certainly like make the case for like, you know, berry besop is great heated, like, you know, sell it into Q4, but like, you know, generally speaking, your highest sales are going to be Q2, Q3. So I think it's important to remember that if you're going to launch another flavor, we want it, we want it to have its best chance at succeeding on the shelf. So we want to put it on the shelf when when sales are generally high for that category. So I would love to see you launch another flavor in the winter, like in Q1 to get on shelf by the springtime, you know, or like late spring, early summer, so that um, so that it can actually sell and like pick up, you know, have high velocity right from the beginning. But that yeah. can be a little complicated, right? Um, it depends. It, it's complicated because you've, you know, where are we? We're in November, right? We're recording <laughs> in November. This this podcast is going to come out in early December, and you know, so so what does that mean? Like, are you ready to rock and roll and like launch something in early January? I don't know, you know, or do you need to sit on it for a year and really develop? your your business while you you know like knowing that that cycle the other thing too i'll say around time of year is that it's really dependent on category reviews for refrigerated beverage and so you know that i i'm a fan of pitching basically any time of year outside of like you know right around the holidays but um and you can always like pitch off category off cycle right um but you definitely want to look at the category review schedule for some of your bigger accounts and see see when they are right and and you're you're gonna right. want to make sure that you're you're a, it, that that it, that's at least on your radar as you're thinking about when to launch a new product. Um, Very true. And then I feel like I've got a lot of and thens on this one. And then <laughs> remember that you've got three SKUs right now, and it can Four. be. Four SKUs, excuse me, four SKUs right now. And it can be challenging <laughs> yeah. for 
brands or excuse me, for retailers to, to carry more than carry more than that at one time from a single brand, right? Yeah. Unless you're a product yeah. that is really, really selling quickly. Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of some examples that, that who do that in the beverage category. And the one that I kept coming back to is um, GT kombucha, you know, like 10 yes. years ago, like that was the kombucha. That was the only one on the market. They had probably had a dozen different flavors and like we, we would give them an entire shelf and they freaking like flew off the shelf. But I think that's, you know, it's changing, right? There's so many, there's so much competition in the beverage category now that, you know, buyers, buyers may say yes to four SKUs, but it's really hard to convince them to just bring in a fifth or a sixth, especially in, if it's not like a completely different line, right? Yeah, yeah. So just think about that, right? Like think about like what the impact would be um, and like why, <laughs> why, why launch more flavors, right? Just make sure that you've got a really strong reason for it because, you know, more flavors, (laughs) more problems. Sometimes. That's that's good to to know about because, you know, I, I, you know, as we scale, you know, it's important to make really smart decisions um, and to make timely decisions. And, you know, I get excited, you know, I, I'm testing all the time. (laughs) Oh, this is this flavor will be awesome. This would enhance yeah. our spices and our hibiscus, you yeah. know. And we're, we're enjoying it, we're drinking it, we're testing it, and then yeah. we realize, okay, well, how are we able to launch it? And because it's, um, you don't want to just launch something aimlessly without a plan, right. without a strategy. Yep. And, yep. Yeah. And what I think you you need to remember too is that, like, what would happen and what what might happen is you present it to buyers and they're like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like you said, you did all this consumer research. Like this seems like a great flavor. It's totally on trend. Like, yes. Okay. So let's discontinue your slowest selling skew on our shelves. And we'll just Mm -hmm. bring in this new flavor that you, that you're super excited about. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, sure. I mean, that could be a good play because then hopefully your velocity would increase in that account. Um, if it's a smart decision on the the buyer's end, but it doesn't, but then, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting more shelf space or like, you know, that's, it's not a clear win. Does that make sense? Very true. And absolutely. And it's something that I've learned. I, you know, I, like I said, you know, I was naive, still naive on a lot of things right now since I I was thinking "Hmm, more flavors, more shelf space. Yeah. Yes. Let's. Let's do it and yeah. realizing that I mean, <laughs> that's not always the case. Yeah. That is not always the case at all. Um yeah. one of our wholesale accounts, um, I we they loved all of our four flavors, but they chose three SKUs yep. instead of four. And I, I, I was bummed. Even yeah. though we got into we, we got a game the new wholesale account, I was like, why can't you carry off while they're all delicious? Yeah. And, and now it makes sense. It yeah. makes sense now. So every day I'm learning about, you know wholesale accounts, retailers, the relationships, yeah. decisions they make. It's really important to really learn, you know, why did, why they make the decisions that they make. It really it's, helps us to understand. Yeah. And there's, there's so much to learn, right? So like, I mean, oh, think yes. again, like think about how much you've learned in this past year. It's really incredible. So um, <laughs> I always want to come back to that, right? Like give yourself credit for that. But the other, another thing to think about with these, 
with the skew expansion is that as you go bigger and bigger or like, you know, with bigger and bigger accounts, you know, this, like you start having to do promotions and there are like placement deals and slotting fees mm-hmm. and all of these hidden costs to, to selling in grocery. And so just realize that like with every additional skew, like in a way you have an additional price tag that comes along with it. So yeah, think about that. Um, you know, so, so tread with caution on, on rushing to do additional flavors. I'm all for changing up your flavors. If you have something that's not selling, right? Like, let's say you have one of the four that is your slowest seller and you really take to heart your, your customer research. And, you know, you're really, really stoked on a new flavor. You might end up swapping out your, your slow seller for a new one. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, Definitely you're like, they're all my babies, Allie. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind. Yes. I'm going to keep an open mind because yes. it's always, you know, I think it's important to. Well, yeah, and Aquia, if you, you know, what I'm hearing, what I'm picking up from you is that you don't have a clear, slow seller, which is awesome. I don't. Good. <laughs> awesome. So that, that, is, that is great. Usually brands are like, oh yeah, there's one that's like lagging behind. So I'm really happy to hear that, that you don't have that obvious choice there. That's, that's, a, that's good. Yeah. Um, shoot. I feel like I wanted to say one other thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So also with with expansion and new product launches. So you alluded to the fact that not only are you thinking about different flavors, but you are also thinking about different products as a whole. And the 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 big thing that you need to remember there is that if it's not in the beverage category, and you don't have to say whether it is or not, but if it's <laughs> not in the refrigerated beverage category, it means new buyers that you're communicating with, like new sell sheets, new pitch templates, like all of those things in the, you know, essentially you are recreating the wheel for your new product line. So it's not, I don't say this to discourage you. I just say it to like set expectations that, um, Sometimes it's the same buyer, like especially with independents and smaller accounts and stuff. But but um, there's a lot of work involved if it's in a different category. I see. And thank you so much for telling me that. You're I have welcome. no idea either. <laughs> You're welcome. Because, you know, and uh, again, it's the... I wish I could swear on my own podcast, but I, I need to keep my PG rating here. It is really annoying that... Um, Every store, every broker, every distributor has a different way of doing things, right? So yeah. in some stores, you might find, let's just say, I'm going to use an example that I know you're not doing. Let's just say you are making um, hibiscus flavored potato chips. <laughs> in some stores, the beverage buyer and the potato chip buyer might be the same, right? Like in mm-hmm. a small store where they really have a lean team and it's one person making decisions, that's going to be the same person. So it sounds like a lot of the ac- accounts that you're already in might do buying in that way. And like, you might be okay. But as you move to bigger and bigger stores, they have category managers. And that person who's buying the potato chips might is is a different person than who's doing refrigerated beverage. And so it would just be a whole other line of communication. Okay. Does that, wow. that make sense? 
that makes perfect sense. And I've learned something today because I honestly thought it doesn't matter. It's the, it's the store buyer. It's the <laughs> one buyer. Why not? They would love to try, you know, yeah. bring and a new some, product in. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes it is. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you, you know, I managed many, many dozens of categories um, when I was at Byright, but we had, you know, at least when I started, we had a really, really lean team. It was me and one other guy. Um, and we divided all of our grocery between the two of us. But, um, wow. you know, it, de- it really depends on the store. Um, you know what? You should actually come back to our student group and talk to Charlie about it because he's got his shrubs and then his ready-to-drink beverage line. Um, and it's he has them completely separate, you know, like even like different co-packers, like everything. So it, yeah. it's almost like having two – I don't want to say it's as dramatic as having two businesses, but like it's um, – it's not as easy as just like, P.S., I also have this line. Do you want to carry it as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like creating a whole different product line. Even though it's yeah. one business, it's like, yeah, and with its own sell sheet, yep. own strategy, separate, all, all of that. Okay. And there are people who do that successfully, right? Like I can think of several other Retail Ready students who have had success doing it. I think of... Um, Enzo, Vincent with Enzo olive oil. He's got olive oil and then he branched out into almond butter and preserves. And, you know, he's just, he's had a lot of success with that because (laughs) it all ties back to the story of his, you know, family farm in California and they grow, you know, they grow olives and almonds and fruit. And like, so, you know, it it all makes sense from a brand perspective, but it's still, you know, so the consumer gets it, but it's still like that, that, um, communication and education piece that, that is, it's a, I mean, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot for a single product line. It is. Yeah. So um, another small question that's related to um, the last um, is with this, with the one or two um, products that we would love to launch. um, Well, or considering, do you recommend D to C first? Oh, it depends on the it depends on the product category. Yeah. yeah. And not, I'm not going to make you <laughs> reveal it, but it it depends, right? Okay. You know, I mm-hmm. think that um some of the categories that work really well direct to consumers to direct to consumer, excuse me, are the ones that mm-hmm. solve a really really clear problem for the consumer, uh usually around something yeah. that's like dietary or health related or, um, you know, just something where the, the consumer is like specifically going online to fulfill a need that they don't find on the shelves at their local grocery store. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think about that, you know, like I think, I think about brands like Goldmine having really strong direct to consumer sales because, you know, their target audience is a, a woman who's like, frankly, like sitting behind a computer all day, you know, who's stressed out about the job and is like <laughs> Googling natural remedies for stress management, right? Um, you don't yeah. typically walk into your corner store, like trying to find a natural supplement <laughs> for stress management. So it kind of depends on the category. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We can, okay, so we can talk more about that offline, off air. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. We can, we can, we can uh, turn off the recording and and continue the conversation there, but um, anything else I can help you with? Oh man. I mean, these were some, these were the top issues that, you know, were really like kind of like weighing on, on us as we, you know, re-strategize, think about what we want to do with the plan and in the new year um, starting in 2021. So, I mean, I've got, you gave me some great, great gems. I mean, I've made so many notes here and um, thank you so much for this. Oh. I, we're going to get to work. Of course, you all, you're always working. I see you hustling so hard and I'm just, I can't say it enough. I'm really in awe of, of the work that you're doing. So Aquia, before I let you sign off, tell, tell our listeners how they can, how can, how can they find you? Where can they find you? So you can find us at barrybisab.com. We are very active on Instagram. Yeah. So at barrybisab, um, B-E-R-R-Y-B-I-S-S-A-P. We're also on Facebook as well, but um, we interact with our consumers most on Instagram. Um, that's where most of our consumers are. So you can reach us, DM us, um, you can... Yeah, uh, we we love talking, and I mean, and also I wanted to say, you know, stay tuned. We're working on like a series, like a nice um, stories series, and you can sign up on our email newsletter on our website about um, just about culture of West Africa, about BSAP, and the, how different West African countries enjoy BSAP with cold, with um, traditional delicious food as oh, well. Cool. So it's just a fun way to kind of like express um, express our culture, express um, the vibrancy of West Africa, and um, and a, a fun way to learn about us as well. So yeah, every time I watch your story, every time I watch your stories, I'm like, oh that looks delicious. Like that, that was like making me drool through the screen. So I, I fully, I'm, I fully endorse this and I'm so excited to hear that you're going to lean in more to your, your family's roots and share more about your, your West African uh, culture. That's, that's awesome. I look forward to that too. Okay. Kriya, thank you. Thank you so much for being here and uh, I'll see you very soon in our retail ready group. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Ali. Of course. Okay. My whizzes. Thank you guys as well. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope that you found Aquia's story inspiring and our conversation around expanding nationally, launching new SKUs and debating like where to be merchandised in the store as insightful as, as you start thinking about how it applies to your own brand. So as always, I always say, I'd love to continue the conversation with you in our Food Biz Wiz Facebook group. We are at almost 1,500 food and beverage founders over there. So if you're looking to connect with fellow folks in the, the food and beverage community, come and join us. You can find that at foodbizwiz.com or linked in today's show notes, and I'll see you over there very soon. In the meantime, I'll see you back here next Thursday as I welcome in a really fantastic colleague of mine, and we're going to talk about finding the right co-packer and navigating those complicated relationships. So until then, have a good one and stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com 
for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.